0: A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to FanRollDice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by black creatives from all over the world. This week, we have a story that cautions us to be careful what we wish for. But before we get to getting what you ask for, just a reminder that all episodes are brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Thanks to our newest patrons, James, Kleana, and Natasha. We're working toward our goal of bringing you new episodes every week, but we need your help. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. And don't forget, you can support us and get some cool merch at the same time. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Blood, Lust, and Muddy Waters, written by Del Sandine and narrated by Hood Horror.
1: after spending about a week, all the shrimps up over the side of a boat, sliding across a gut-slipper deck and having a company of other black men's whose foul tempers were only outmatched by their miles. Jones, though, reasoned he deserved to eat, get drunk and raise a little heck he wanted to. And that's how he came to be at Coco's Fish Fry and Grits, nice little joint on a Friday night. But one week later, he was dead. As soon as Jones walked in the cocos, the wooden shack turned down an establishment, mingled smells of fish grease, bottom burrow whiskey, cigarello smoke, and bayou water washed over him like a mother's love. And low chatter buzzed, occasionally broken by a clap of laughter, quickly smothered under a hand. Jones grabbed a double shot from Mason at the bar and knocked back almost half of it. Hey, careful, man. The bartender said, you only weigh about a buck (laughs) twenty. Before sitting down at his favorite table, the one against the wall facing the door so that he could see everybody coming and going. Now once Jones sat eyes on the woman though, it didn't matter where he sat, he ain't seen nothing else. The glint of her dark skin looked like it could blend into the night and at the same time break right on through it. And he used to call a boy he went to school with blue black on account of his color. But this woman here, she was even darker. Not just blue, but like indigo and violet. Her own deep little rainbow gleaming through the smoky air of cocos. Now, when had he ever seen such a sight? Hair so thick and bold, it could knock a mane down and cushion his fall at the same time and Jones swore no water moccasins glided smoother than them hips. She stood at that old jukebox, a scarlet fingernail tapping against her teeth as she tried to decide on a tune. Jones swallowed a chunk of air moving down his throat, ear-like, wiping his hands on his pains. He stood glancing down at himself because he couldn't remember if he'd actually ironed his shirt or not, but he had. But he couldn't just walk straight to the jukebox. So he slid down a bit and circled almost all the way around the room before doubling back and interval on a woman left-hand side. Her eyes flicked to the side, raking over him quickly before her attention turned back. Jones's gaze crawled along her bare arm, skin glittering like black diamond dust. You wanna hear some, she asked, still looking at the song menu. A shiny quarter twirling between her fingers. Uh, uh, Jones stammered. She looked at him, and in her dark eyes, he imagined a chink of moonstone twinkling at him from the inside of a gator's mouth. Uh, no. Uh, I, I just wanted to know your name. A quick smile touched her red lips before she slid in her quarter and chose. You can't lose, which ain't never had by the man himself, Muddy Waters. Lenora, she said. And as the first plaintive notes tinkled out from the machine, she glided herself out to the middle of Coco's, as if it was one of those fancy dance clubs in a big city instead of an old roadhouse in the back country. Music drifted out into the air, but for Jones, it was only the music of Lenora. A siren song swallowing his whole mind. He went back to Coco's the next night and the next, and all he could do was watch Lenore. Whether she danced or talked to that fat mason behind the bar, or threw back her head and laughed, the sharp white of her teeth grabbing all the light in the room to make it their own obsession. A part of his mind whispered, What else could it be? He wondered as he'd never wanted to have. No, possess a woman like he did this one. He was used to seeing the same people there. From the man always tending to the old-fashioned, three brown finger curled around the glass, a stump in place of a pinky, to the Creole girl whose eyes followed Lenora with a jealousy so thick, he was surprised she hadn't drowned it in it. All that following week, after a long day of shrimp, he returned to Coco's, watching Lenora, waiting for her to float herself over to him, but she never did. And the next Friday, she wasn't there. And after staying at the open doorway all night, Jones slammed in his glass on the table and left. He have to go see Mama Seven. But before he made the trip to the murkiest part of the swamps, Jones needed something of value to offer her. He had a job. But much of his money flew out of his wallet, simply slid it straight out of his hands because his two favorite pastimes, drinking and gambling, were greedy. Jones was good at the first, but real bad at the second. But there was one thing that he never called himself, and that was a quitter. From Coco's, he made his way to bats, legitimate billers in the front, dubious action in the back involving a small hard field of light cubes between palms pressed gently to lips before flying in the air only to land against brick and stone small black orbs winked at you while they decided if you went home angry and broke but happy and a few dollar richer joan knelt down the back alley first watching his eyes moving like hungry butterflies Later came his turn to caress the dice, to love them in a way all gamblers, wrinkled bills, holding tight to scents of musk and dirty pockets, lit at the ground. With every toss though, Jones watched his fortune and a promise to Lenora DM. After an hour, all he had left was a meager sprinkling of coins in his pocket, warm to the touch. Well, it like that sometimes, one of the men said. Of course he'd be flushed with sympathy, Jones thought. The man had been winning all night. Jones pushed himself up and away, his fists clutching them useless coins again, his hard-soled shoes clapping against the pavement as he left the alley behind. What to do now? He had to have her. He paused at the end of the block, pulling himself into shadows, which was easy to do in that area. Street Streetlights ain't lived there, and the coins in his pocket grew damp and sticky as he waited beside the big oak. At the sound of humming, he slipped behind a tree, his hand sliding in and out in his other pocket, the one without the coins. The soft snick of an opening switchblade whispered in the still air. The humming grew louder, the sound of a lucky man with a load of wrinkled bills sitting in his back pocket. As the man's luck ran out, Mm-hmm. Along with the blood coursing from his throat, Jones closed the knife and began rifling through the dime main pockets. Damn, where's the cash at? Frantic Haynes patted and pulled, only to grab at a couple of smooth bills. And then weak moonlight revealed that Jones had killed the wrong man. Not the lucky one from the back alley, but a stranger who had the misfortune to hum a favorite song. God dang. But feeble light glanced off one thing that made Jones' hopes rise, and he snatched it off the man's wrist before merging with the dog. He went to go see Mama Seven. One legend said that the conjure woman had birthed herself, just slid it out of a mongoose's mouth, landed on her feet, and started throwing tricks five minutes after. Another story of that had been passed from Grandma to Grandchild. More times than anybody could count said that Mama Seven could throw light there, like Satchel sizzling a fastball over home plate to a black cracker's hill. Jones didn't care about the stories. Jones only cared about getting to know His feet stopped at the edge of murky swamp water. The droning buzz of crickets, frogs, cicadas, blending together in a weird nighttime symphony. The moon shone a feeble light over heavy moss and leaning trees some looking like bodies until you blinked again. Jones clapped three times and called out, Mama Seven, Mama Seven, I need your help. Take this offering as a sign of my devotion to you, to go watch arch through the air. And at the same time, a cottonmouth leaped from the swamp and promptly swallowed it, leaving barely a ripple once it disappeared. Jones waited three minutes, five, then 10. The water hardly moved as Mama Seven emerged from its depths, rising like a full moon over steel rivers. Cotton hair hung to her waist, shells, beads, and feathers tangled all up in it, onyx stones paled next to the color of her eyes. In one hand she gripped a carved wooden stick, and her other gleamed a gold watch. A part of Jones's mind had time to wonder how she was completely dry. You paid my price. And what do you want in return, boy? I want a woman. Her name Lenora. Mama Seven chuckled as she looked beyond Jones and shook her head. <laughs> she already belongs to somebody else. She ain't yours. The woman said. But I got. It ain't nothing else I want. Now give up to me. The conjure woman shook her head again, but she knew the rules as well as Jones did. On the heavy side, she said, Go home, man. And when you walk in the door, she be waiting. Along the hem of her heavy skirts hung tiny bells, tinkling like the laughter of mad children as she turned back to the swamp. Now, true to Mama Seven Woods, when Jones walked into his house less than an hour later, Lenora stood in her living room, her face a picture of puzzlement. After he shut the door behind him, she asked, What am I doing in here? Girl, this is your home now. Here with me. Her brows knitted together, nearly invisible against her skin. No, it ain't. And she moved and walked out. A panic arose in Jones at the thought of her escape. But before he could do anything to stop her, even take her hand, a loud pounding came from the other side of the door. Who is it? Jones called out, wondering who in the world would be knocking at this door this time of night. Instead of an answer, the door swung open, and a tall, stocky man, dripping with a vague familiarity, strode in. Blank eyes landed first on Jones before moving on to Lenora. And Jones recognized that look. It was the same one he wore when he looked at her. He didn't even have to see his own face to know that he and his strangers were twins in that regard. What you doin' just walking into a man's house? Jones demanded of the man, but he never got an answer. When the man pulled out a pistol and pointed it straight at Jones, Jones' life didn't flash before his eyes, like they say would happen when you stand deaf straight up in the face, close enough to feel his boggy breath. Nah, all that passed through Jones' mind was remembering where he sinked this man. And Coco's, a man whose gaze had crawled over Lenora's skin the same way Jones's had, his three fingers wrapped around a low bar. And with one pop, it was all over. As Jones crumpled on the floor, his hand cradling a wound in his belly, unable to hold his warm blood inside himself. He spent his last breaths asking why. And through the dark curtain, threatening to fall over Jones's face forever, he watched Lenora slip a hand inside the man's empty one. Her mouth stretched open, wider than the mouth should open. Her jaw unhinged. And when her tongue unfurled, thinner and longer than the tongue should be, balanced on his fork tip with a pinky finger. On his last exhale, Jones realized that the price he paid Mama Seven hadn't been nearly enough.
0: Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod, or like us on Facebook at nightlightpod. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Although a little bit different this week. Since we're doing creepy flash fiction, I thought I'd share a few creepy facts about me. When I was a little girl, I used to recount things to my mom. But the stories I would tell her were things that happened when I was still in the womb. I perfectly described conversations she had and even a couch that my parents got rid of before I was born. I don't remember any of it now, except for the couch. I've never seen it with my own eyes, but if I saw it again, I would know that it was the couch. We'll be back tomorrow with one more flash fiction story. The Fable and Folly Network